We're in a war, a spiritual war. And we can be ignorant about that and we can be naive about that, but that's to our own peril. We're in a fight. We're in a wrestle. And when you talk about wrestling, that's, that's very close quarters combat. That's, that's wrestling, you know, on a, like on a wrestling mat. It's not shooting at someone in a trench a thousand yards away. You're facing your enemy face to face and wrestling. That's the context of which Paul's talking about. And he started off by saying, if you understand who you are in Christ, seated in the heavenly realms, what resources are yours, what the kingdom of God gives to you, then you will know that nothing is impossible for God. You will know that God can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all other things. And all those things that he unfolded in the first couple of chapters, and he was praying, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened so that you know who you are, what's yours, what you can do, what authority and what power we have in relationship with Christ. And then as he moved on through the chapters, he said, knowing that, knowing who you are in Christ, then live this way, live in love, love for one another, live in the light, walk in the light in truth and integrity and walk that way in relationship with one another. And now he says you've got to stand. You've got to resist. You've got to learn how to fight. You've got to learn not how to give ground but to hold the ground that is rightfully yours. In Fiji they sing this great song. Little little chorus goes, I went to the enemy's camp and I took back what he stole from me. And when they sing it, they dance. It's really, I can't dance, so I won't even try. But they, but they jump around the room and they, and, and they sing it in a way that they know that they're taking back anything that's been robbed of them. And it's a beautiful, simple theology. It's a simple truth of what God's allowed us to do. So all that Paul's been exhorting us to understand and appreciate in chapters 1 to 5, he knows that unless we can stand firm and fight, we're going to get washed away by the tide of evil. The onslaught from the enemy is going to be so strong that if we don't know how to fight, then we're just going to give ground and give ground and give ground. The number one rule of any battle, of any warrior, of any soldier is don't give ground. Stand your ground. Stand and fight. So he's saying we're going to have to be determined. We're going to have to have courage. We're going to have to have resilience. We're going to have to have a tenacity. That in a world where the prevailing culture is evil, if we're going to stand, then you better make sure you're positioned, ready to hold your ground. And anybody knows that in combat, if you don't stand on your feet, you're in trouble. You've got to be able to stand firm. And he says that word stand, stand, stand three times just to reinforce that. What happens in battle? You get fatigued. It's hard to stand. It's hard to stay alert. It's hard to keep focus and fighting all the time. And you often see in the movies that the guys that go on R&R &R, like really live it up because they've lived under the tension and the, and the psychological pressure of being attentive. Like if we just celebrated Gallipoli and you just think about the horror of that war and the pressures of standing in a trench knowing that any moment a grenade could be launched or, you know, warfare is not pretty. It's stressful. It's full on. It's not play school. It's war. And we're in a spiritual war. And Paul's saying you've got to make sure there's no weakness in your ranks. Make sure you're not going to be the weak link. Remember that show? Are you the weakest link? But warfare is all about everyone working in cohesion and standing together. 
So we need to have a strategy. No good fighting a war if you don't know how to, what, what, what we're doing. We need to have a, a, a sense of this is the plan of action. This is the tactic. This is the, the scheme by which we're going to fight. Because Paul said the devil has schemes. He's got wily ways of, of attacking us and, and buffeting us and oppressing us. But we need to know how to counteract what he will bring against us. And so it all comes down to discipline. The whole premise of being a soldier is about being a disciplined person, about armoring yourself, about being watchful, about being attentive, being on guard, being ready. And Paul talks about that. But what he firstly says to us is our battle is not against flesh and blood. So we've got to make sure we're fighting the right sort of battle. I think so often in churches the battle is against flesh and blood. You know, we're taking out aggression or bitterness or unforgiveness against one another. And that's exactly what the enemy wants. He wants to set us against one another. But God is saying, no, that's not the battleground. The battleground is against the principalities and the rulers and the authorities that are invisible and cannot be seen. You're fighting them. You're not fighting one another. In fact, the way that you're going to fight is counter contrary to the way that the enemy fights. He wants to get us at each other's throats. He wants to get us hurt and, and, and confused and, and lashing out at one another and relationships breaking down. But God says, no, we're peacemakers. We forgive. How many times do we forgive Jesus? Oh, 77, would that be a good number? No, 777. So the whole, the whole landscape of how we fight is totally opposite to the way that the enemy wants us to fight. It's not against flesh and blood. And the real enemy is unseen. And I think Paul goes to the length of saying that there's principalities and powers and rulers and authorities because he wants us to understand that the enemy is very organized. It's not an ad hoc thing. The demonic realm is quite hierarchical and there's, there's layers of command and there's, there's very intentional purpose about the way that the enemy does things. Let me give you an example. When I started as the youth pastor at Maruchidor Baptist Church, they gave me the keys to the building and the alarm code. And on the first Friday night that I went to open the, the doors for the youth service, I put my key in the door and something jumped on my back. I hadn't even got the key in the door. I was just putting it in. And, and it was a physical something was on me. And like the hairs on the back of my neck were standing up and I'm like, what's going on here? I unlocked the door walked inside, put the alarm code off, and they have like an entry foyer that they call a vestibule, which is an old-fashioned word just for the entry foyer. And as I walked into the auditorium, this thing came off me. I thought, that was weird. So I walked back into the thing, and it jumped on me again, and I stepped back into the auditorium, and it came off me again. And so I, I did the youth service that night, and it was a fairly conservative church and I didn't know whether to say anything or not. It could be my first and last day as a youth pastor. So I said to the senior pastor, Phil, I said, Phil, has anything odd ever happened to you when you put the key in the door? He said, yes. And I said, so what do we do about it? He said, leave it alone. I said, why? Don't we fight the enemy? He said, yeah, we do. But he said, did you notice when you walked into the auditorium that it came off you? I said, yeah. He said, so I prayed about it. This is the pastor. He said, I prayed about it. 
And I thought to myself, this was God's revelation. If I remove that spirit, a greater one will come. And if it's not interfering what's happening in the worship auditorium, then I'm not going to fight that fight. Because for some reason, that thing has legal ground. Something has happened in the life of that church to give that spirit a place, a foothold in that church. And, and Phil said, until I know what that is, I'm not going to deal with it. But I'm glad that you know. So we can stand in authority over it every morning. It won't inhibit what we do because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. But it's an unseen battle. Like if the enemy came to us in human form, we'd know. Be alert, be on guard. But he doesn't play that way. He's sinister, he's evil, he's conniving, he's cunning. And he will play a game in such a way that we get caught unawares. And suddenly we're in a battle that we don't even know. You know what the pastor's solution at the end of it was? He sold the building and built a new one. Because what had happened in the history of that church was that there'd been so much dysfunction relationally and so much ground given to the enemy that it was such a long journey to unpack it all. And so at the end, it was a much easier process to say, let's just clear out the building, let's have a funeral service, and let's move to another building and start again on holy ground. Because unless everyone's willing to fight a spiritual battle, we're going to end up at each other's throats. How many times have you had people say, no, that spiritual stuff, that demonic stuff, that's not important. You know, that, that's all old school stuff. No, it's not. That's what the enemy wants you to think. He wants you to think he's not there. He wants you to think that this is an easy game, but it's not. So Paul says, the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion looking for who he might devour. My advice is don't be on the lunch menu because he's looking. He's looking for opportunity. When the enemy came, when Satan came to Jesus and tempted him in the desert, Jesus counteracted everything that he did. And then at the end of it, the little word says, and the enemy, the devil looked for a more opportune time to return. So be on guard because he's going to come. And you might be standing firm and you might have your armor on and the enemy will go, hmm, no, I can't get in there today. There's no chinks in the armor. But he'll come back. He'll wait. He'll wait till you're upset. He'll wait till you've been grieved by someone in the church. Someone's offended you. He'll wait for the moment. And then he'll say, ha, I got my chance. You know, I come. Whacker. So that's why Paul's saying, be on guard. Be ready to fight at all times. Be ready to fight. So Paul in trying to describe the spiritual realm and the spiritual battle, he uses what is a very commonly well-known military uniform in the Roman soldiers to, to get, a, get his point across. Now, remember when Paul wrote this, he was chained to a centurion. So he's writing, looking at the guy's garb that he's got on as he's writing this, and he's inspired by that. But the Roman army was an incredible fighting force. Their discipline, their drill, their weaponry, the way that they fought, their readiness to fight, they were, a, they were really a force to be reckoned with. And so it's, it's great analogy for Paul to be able to, to grab these things. Notice that there are five defensive parts to the armour and there's one offensive. I don't know if that's saying something, but notice that more of the uniform and the, and the armoury is about standing and, de and defending than it is attacking. 
And maybe that's because we're not the ones necessarily to fight. It's for us to allow God to fight on our behalf. But we don't have any armour of our own. If I want to go up against the enemy and I don't use what God's given me, look out, you're going to get smashed. Because Paul says, put on the full armour of God. You'd look pretty silly grabbing a spear and a helmet and charging down in to tackle the army without anything else on, wouldn't you? No hand grenades, no, you know, nothing else. Paul's saying you need the whole lot. You need to put it all on to be equipped to fight the enemy. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the gospel of peace, the shoes, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the word of God. So let's think about those. Yep, you sure can. Yeah. No, but I'm going to go on to pray. <laughs> She's cheeky. It's Mother's Day. So what holds your pants up? Are belts, right? But belts are multi-purpose because you can hang things on them. Okay? Now, a Roman tunic, if you didn't have a belt around it, meant that you had this big flowing garb that was very difficult to fight in. It would be very easy to get your arms tangled up in the weaponry. So the belt held them together. And the scripture uses the words to gird up your loins. It's actually gathering all your male parts and getting everything in such a way that, that, that you're free to move. You're gathered together, but you're free to move. And Paul's saying you need to have truth girded around you because truth will keep you centred. Truth is the thing that, that encompasses what we're on on about. We need to be gripped by the truth. We need to be wrapped in the truth. It's on the truth that we do what we do. It's on the truth of who Jesus was that we stand. It's on the truth of who, who Jesus and what he did on the cross that we stand. So without truth, we've got nothing. We're tossed to and fro. We're, you know, we've got no center. We're not grounded. We're not strong. This week I had a knock on my door Friday morning. I'm sitting at my desk and I saw who it was. It was the JW guy who I've been having this Barney with over the last three months. And he noticed that we had a full lease sign up on our house. So he was very keen to come and have a last spa before we move. And uh, there was another guy with him. And he said, oh, I brought brother, whatever his name was, along today. And uh, I brought him along because he's a born-again Christian that's now a brother in the JW. And so I let them talk for a little while. I was a little gracious. And then I looked at the other guy and I said, a born-again Christian, are you or were you? I was. And I gave him the truth, both barrels. I said, you're standing on my property. I get to tell you what I like. And I said, you were never born again. You have never walked in relationship with Christ if you're denying these things now. I said, of all the people standing on the face of the planet, mate, I wouldn't want to be in your shoes today because what you said to me this morning is blasphemy. That is not true. We stand on truth. And if you've ever walked in the truth, if you've ever experienced God, then you know he's real and you know that that's a lie. And I said, this guy standing here is lying. He's standing here this morning saying there is no hell. That's a flat-out lie. Let me get my Bible out and show you. And we had this big ding-dong Barney. <laughs> but truth is truth, and it's what holds us all together, and it's what Satan wants to, to water down so that we've got less of the truth than the whole truth. 
Jesus said, I am the truth. And if we look at Jesus and walk with him in intimacy, we'll never get off track. We've got to be girded by the truth. The second thing is the breastplate of righteousness, which was used to protect mainly your heart, but your vital organs. And I think what the enemy does is he likes to get into our heart and say, you're not worthy to fight, Charlie. Who are you? Look at you. What can a girl your age do to fight? You know, you're useless. You don't know enough. You haven't had enough experience. Look at all those mistakes that you made. Look at your life. It's a mess. But the breastplate of righteousness covers our heart. It doesn't allow the enemy to get into our emotions and mix us all up. It allows us to stand firm. The scriptures say, above all else, guard your heart because it is the wellspring of life. If our heart is infected and our morals disintegrate, then our morale disintegrates as well. The breastplate of righteousness, we've got to put it up. We, it's not our righteousness. I don't have any of my own, but I'm clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. So when the enemy comes to Charlie and says, Charlie, you're useless, you go, that might be true, but that's not what Jesus says. Because he says, I am a child of the Most High God. I am. This is the truth. Let me remind you. You want to pick on me? That's fine. You go and pick on my God. And that's what we do. We replace the lies with the truth. The third thing is the shoes of the gospel of peace. I don't know whether you know this or not, but Roman sandals had spikes in the heels. Did you know that? Because what it meant was when they stood, they were anchored. They didn't slip in the dust or the mud or anything like that. They were like football studs. And they were able to stand their ground more effectively. And if you've ever seen Gladiator or some of those movies where they all put their shields up together and they lock their shields up over the top and they would point their swords through the little gaps and they would just go, march. But they would never give ground because they had an anchor. They were able to. And so we're anchored, but we're anchored in peace. What the enemy wants us to do is be aggressive, you know, in the sense of fighting back with our fists and with our mouth and, and being bitter and being, you know, you go out into the world, you see a lot of aggression, a lot of angry people, a lot of pent-up emotion and stuff like that. But we're totally the opposite, and it's like an oxymoron. In the midst of a fight, of a wrestle, we are peacemakers. We respond in peace. And there's great analogies right through history where, where, where people who are put in situations where they could have lashed out didn't. Jesus said, listen, if you want to know where I'm from, I can bring an army right now and we can deal with this right here, Pilate. But I'm choosing the way of peace. I'm submitting to what God wants me to do. We need to be peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. Making peace isn't always easy. But that's what we're encouraged to do. We don't stoop to the enemy's tactics, but we play by God's rules and respond in peace. The shield of faith. Obviously, a shield deflects stuff that's coming at you, spears and swords, and the scripture uses the fiery darts of the enemy. A Roman shield was oblong, was fairly big, and it was actually made of soft wood. It wasn't made out of iron. So that when an arrow came or a spear came, it would actually get lodged in the front of the spear and it was able to be taken out. It gave ground because if it was metal, 
and you got something thrown at you pretty hard, you'd recoil with the, with the weight of it coming at you. But you were able to, to extinguish the penetration of the, the spear or the arrow and it would just fall down. And so they were able to march. When they attacked, they had a different shield that was metal and smaller oftentimes when they were in a full-on attack. But I think what Paul's saying here is the big one where it was linked together and they were able to walk forward. And we need to be able to extinguish what the enemy throws at us. He will throw at us criticism. He will throw at us all types of things that we are inadequate, that we should be fearful. There's any number of weapons that he will throw at us, but by faith, we are very easily able to extinguish those things. So we're in a situation where we're starting to feel really discouraged. We don't know what to do. We're starting to feel fearful about what we've got to face. We go to the Word of God and the Word of God says, do not be discouraged, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So even in this situation, we respond by faith. Remember, it's an unseen battle. There's a great story in Scripture. I don't know whether it's Elijah or Elisha. I think it's Elijah. And, the, and he's surrounded and he's got his servant with him and his servant's getting really panicky about the fact that they're going to get overrun. And Elisha or Elijah, I can't remember the story, prays that God will open his spiritual eyes to see. And suddenly he sees in the hills all around him God's heavenly host. Total attitude change because he could see what was happening in the invisible realm. And that's what we do by faith. When we pray, we shut our eyes. Why? Because we're not looking at what's happening in the earthly realm. We're thinking about what's happening in the heavenly realm. And we're focusing on God and who he is and how he can fight on our behalf. And we're calling on all the resources of heaven and all the promises of God and all the truths of scripture. And we're saying, by faith, Satan, you say, but I say I believe. You say this, but I say no, I trust in him. I'm serving him. I'm following him because he's true, because he's the way, because he's the life, because he's the truth, because he's the captain of the host of heaven, because he's Jehovah Jireh, because he's Jehovah Sidkenu, because he's this, because he's that. I believe. I stand. I fight. I will not give ground. I will not be pushed back. In fact, I'll push back the other way. I'll fight. I will be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, which is given to me to fight. So it's a bit like this. Satan, you fire an arrow at me and I'll show you that you're not going to get very far by faith, by the way I respond to the onslaught. It won't be fear. It won't be trepidation. I won't get wobbly. I'll respond by faith, by faith, by faith. And we march on. The helmet of salvation. You get a head wound in battle and you're disoriented or you can't see, you're not much good as a warrior. So the helmet of salvation is so important to us because it's in the mind where most of our battles are fought. It would be really nice if we had a computer system that we could log everyone's brain into and get sort of like a, a picture show of what's happened during the week because that's where Satan wants to come wants to come with doubts and fears and all those things that, and build on them to a point where we become dysfunctional. We're not strong. We're actually weak because of what we've allowed to unfold in our minds. And, and we need to win the battle here 
And what the helmet of salvation does is take it back to the truths of our salvation. Because if we're focused on what we've been given through salvation and our saviour, then we're never going to get mixed up in our minds. We're always going to go back to the simple truths of, yeah, I'm a sinner, but I'm saved by grace. Yeah, I deserve God's wrath, but he's poured out his mercy upon me. And by going back to the cross and going back to who our saviour is, our mind will be firm. It will be centred on what is true and right and pure. We've got to win that battle. There will be people sitting here today who are losing the battle because the enemy has come and your armour hasn't been on and he's got and planted a seed of thought in your mind and you've allowed that to take a foothold. And the enemy's compounded that by saying, you can't do anything in the church, you're useless. What gifts have you got to offer? Yeah, I'm not really very gifted, am I? Oh, look at all those other people. They're so much better than you, aren't they? You could never pray out loud. Because look at the wonderful prayers Deanna prays. You should just sit down and let her pray. You know, and we play these mind games, but what's happening is the foothold is now becoming a stronghold. Instead of it being a little thing that we deflect at the beginning and say, no, that's not true. That's not, that might be what you say, Satan, but this is what God says. Replace the lie with the truth. And Satan goes, oh, I'm giving up this game. I'm not getting anywhere. He says, hmm, I'm starting to take ground. So let me assign something else. Let me bring something else in to compound that problem. Pretty soon you've got someone who's seen all sorts of things in their world that aren't true. They have no perspective that is reality at all. And it happens to baby Christians and it happens to mature Christians. People that have been in the faith for 40 years come and say, oh, I'm feeling a bit left out, Mark. Where in the heck did you get that thought from? What is happening in your mind to allow you to feel like you are left out? Are you accepted in the beloved? Yes. Are you part of the family of God? Yes. Has God said you are fearfully and wonderfully made? Yes. So how can you be feeling left out? Something's happening in here where you are giving the enemy ground. And if you're going to give him ground, there's nothing anybody can do in the body to help you. Because you've got to win the battle. I can't win it for you. You've got to stand on truth. You've got to guard your heart. You've got to be able to fight. And we've got to teach people to stand their ground, not to believe the lies. Because the enemy is an accuser. And he loves to throw lies. But if we're going to come and say, oh, let's reel the lie in. And he'll always plant a little tiny bit of truth in that lie, maybe. Adam and Eve. If you eat of that tree, you'll be just like God. There was some truth in that, that they would now know good and evil, which God knew. But we've got to stand, and the helmet of salvation means that we stay anchored to the cross for the salvation that's ours. The sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit, the sword of a, of a Roman soldier was, wasn't very long. It was about that long, and it had a double edge and a, and a rib down the middle, and it's shaped just like this was like a tongue. Same shape, but a little bit longer. And Paul, I think, uses that analogy because when we start to go on the offensive and fight, it's with this thing that we're going to have the victory, believe it or not. Because there is incredible power in the spoken word. You know, when, when God created and he said, let there be light, right? When he spoke that out, it's still being spoken now. Let there be light, 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 let there be light. And there'll be light until Jesus says stop. Because there's power in the spoken word. 
And we've got to realize this little flappy muscle inside our mouth has incredible power to do damage, but it has incredible power to push back the enemy. By speaking this morning, we're learning truths and absorbing those into our minds. And when you speak those truths out and when you share those things and when we share the gospel and those things, it all comes through here. It all comes through the mouth. And that's our sword. doesn't mean we get our Bibles and, you know, we throw it at people. We use the content therein, the truths and the promises and the statements and the history of the Bible, and, and we use all that and we speak it out because it's a weapon. I could stand here this morning and berate people and make them feel about this big because my, my tongue has power. But if I use those, the same English language and I affirm and I build up and I encourage and I exhort and speak power into people's lives, total opposite, hey? I know when our guys go into the school this week, they're probably going to come across some little kids who've been berated and belittled and spoken to in such a way that their demeanour in life is pretty shriveled up. But our mouths should be pretty fearful things to listen to, really, when we know the content of what God's given us in his truth and the counsel of God, and we begin to regurgitate that. I mean, isn't that why we pray? When you hear somebody praying, and they're really starting to get into the flow of the Spirit, and, and, and it's like, yeah, keep going! Because they're words of truth and they're words of power and they're words of life. And they push the enemy back. They repel him. I think that's why you, why you scream when you go into battle. You know, let's charge. Because it creates fear in your enemy. And we've got to understand that we can create fear in the mind of Satan. The last thing he wants you to do is start speaking out truth, speaking out with authority. He doesn't want you to do that. He wants you to be timid and frightened and sit in the corner and feel inadequate. And if you let him, he'll do it to you. I promise you, he'll do it to you and he'll do it really well because that's his goal. He's come to rob, steal and destroy. That's his mandate. So when we talk about the sword of the spirit, it may be scripture, but not necessarily. God can give you a word in season that doesn't necessarily come out of the Bible, but it's still the word of God. Like when we're praying about, um, you know, something that's a more modern context, we might not be able to go to the Bible and say, this is what scripture says. We need the mind of Christ to know how to pray in that situation. And so it's the words that God imparts into us that we speak out is the sword of the spirit. It can restore things. It can break things off. It can bring things into being that weren't even there. That's the power of God's word. And we have to understand that we have an authority to use it, a right to use it, a God-given right to speak out, to praise and to pray, to, to fight, to exhort, to encourage, to comfort. All those things are weapons. When someone's broken and feeling like, like their world is not worth living, what do you do? You come in and fight or do you come in and comfort and remind them? that even though they walk through the valley of the shadow of death, they don't need to fear. Why? Because Christ is there. His rod and his staff will comfort them. And we use scripture and we use all sorts of pictures that God might give us or anything that's inspired of the Spirit to speak it out. But the greatest weapon we have against Satan is our prayer life. It really is so important. 
that we are a house of prayer. And the one thing that Satan will try and get you to do is fall asleep so you don't pray. You know, the, the imagery used right through Scripture is about being in the watchtower, like being a guard on duty. You don't fight 24 hours a day, seven days a week, but you need to be on guard 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And we need to be praying all the time in all sorts of prayers, in all sorts of circumstances. Now, that doesn't mean for 24 hours a day I pray, literally. That's physically impossible. But wherever possible, and in every situation, we are praying. Why? Because it's recognizing that God is in the battle with us. It's drawing him into the situations and circumstances that we face. And what we're doing is bringing Jesus, who is the captain of the host of heaven, and all his hosts, and bringing them into our situation and asking Christ to fight on our behalf. That's the best warfare strategy. To get Jesus to fight for you, he's much better at it. We heard this morning from Revelation, I don't want to fight someone who looks like that. Because he has all power and all authority. And if he assigns a heavenly host to come and fight alongside Mark Wilson, I'm just going to say, hey, you go fight for me, thank you. I'll just stand and watch. Because in the unseen spiritual realm, that's what's happening. Lord, I'm in a desperate situation. I don't know what to do. Could you please assign an angel or a heavenly host to come and change the circumstances? We had a young guy in our youth group um, many years ago who had a motorcycle accident on, on Mullaney, which is up behind the Sunshine Coast. And he was riding just on dusk and he'd come round the corner and lost the bike and he'd slid across the median strip. And you know those big, heavy gale uh, uh, guardrails? and they've got the beams that hold them up, he'd hit one on his hip as he'd slid across the road and broken his leg. His leg was out that way. And he'd gone over the edge, and he was just lying there in agony. And the guy that was in front of him on his other bike had just kept going, didn't notice. And about 30 minutes later, he realised, hang on a minute, Alan's not behind me. Better go back and look. And um, the point of the story is this. When the ambulances came and put Alan in the back of the ambulance, they said to him, Mate, if that person hadn't given you first aid and looked after you the way that they did, you'd be dead. And Alan said, I thought it was you. The ambulance guy said, no, it wasn't us. Somebody's taken your helmet off and done it in such a way that they looked after your neck. They put your gloves on top of the helmet. And Alan had in that moment, lying there, prayed, God, I don't know you, but would you do something to help me? What an incredible story. What a great testimony. Hey, I got saved because an angel ministered to me, you know. But that's what's happening. We can't see it, but we know that that's reality. That's the real world. And that's what we need to be focused on and drawing from, praying in the spirit on all occasions. That might mean praying in tongues. It might just be praying what the Holy Spirit is given to you in any situation, in any way. But pray, 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 because it's so powerful. Let's just finish off really quickly. The spiritual realm operates on legal ground. Okay, We rent a house at the moment and I have a certain amount of legal rights because I've signed a contract. But the ownership of the house belongs to the landlord. It's not mine. And if he wants to kick me out, he can. Because it's his. It's his property. And that's how the spiritual realm works. Your heart 
and your mind are yours. They're your property and you determine what comes in and what goes out. And so you need to filter what comes in and what goes out. And if you give the enemy ground, he'll take it. He'll say, thank you so much for making my job so easy. Yes, I'll come in and I'll make you feel horrible. He loves to do that and he won't give up. He's relentless. But if we can learn the simple truths of fighting, then we'll put things in proper perspective and we won't give him ground. He can buffet us. He can come around the outsides of our life and try to throw things at us. But if he keeps getting resistance and he keeps getting someone who's strong in God and strong in the power of the Spirit of God, he'll go away for a more opportune time. But if he gets some ground, he's going to keep coming and he's going to bring other resources. So if you've got marriage problems and you choose to ignore them, then the enemy's going to say, thank you for ignoring those things. I'll compound them. But if you take them and you work together on them and you submit them to God and you get counseling, you're starting to take away the legal ground. Okay? And the enemy will stop. And you'll have the victory. We need to keep the fight in perspective. I don't believe it's our job to run around looking for demons behind every bush. I really don't think we should give the Satan any more credit or credibility. No. Our focus is Jesus. Our focus is on him and his kingdom and what the kingdom of God to, can bring to our lives and the lives of others. And if the enemy gets in the way of that, then we deal with it. Jesus didn't go around looking for demons behind every fig tree. Okay? He got on with preaching the gospel, with loving people, with serving people. And if something came up that was demonically derived, he took authority over it, pushed it out of the way and said, let's get back to focusing on God. We've got to keep that perspective. Remember when I was in theological college and we were having a bit of a debate about angels and demons and that sort of thing and our theology lecturer said, let me put it in perspective for you. And he went to the, to the blackboard and he drew these two really big feet and these big legs, oh, another leg, oh. And he drew a little stick figure down in the corner and said, that's Satan, that's God. Never get it out of perspective. Keep it in perspective. Satan has power, yes. He's the prince of the power of the air. He's the prince of this earth. He has rights here. We gave it to him when we sinned. So yes, he has authority. Yes, he has power. But we don't live in his kingdom. We live in the kingdom of God. And because of that truth, we can guard our heart, guard our mind, stand on the truth, put up that breastplate of righteousness, walk in faith, push forward in faith, and not give ground to the enemy. That's the beauty of it. And the beauty of that Roman way that they fought was that they would pull other soldiers in and they made this incredible army that was able to fight and resist and fight and resist. It's a beautiful picture. So glad Paul gave it to us. Remember that Jesus is Jehovah Sabaoth. He's the Lord of hosts, the captain of the hosts of heaven. I've never been in a war and I don't want to be because all I've seen about war is guts and gore and there's nothing nothing glamorous about war, but we're in one. And the stakes of this war are lives, people's lives, people that are going to go to hell. And if we live out our lives in such a way that we understand the battle and that we know how to resist, but we also know how to fight, then we will be a force to be reckoned with. As families, as individuals, as churches, we will be able to take the enemy's ground off him 
and bring it back. Isn't that what church is all about? Going out into the world and grabbing someone that you knows the enemy's got a grip on them and dragging them into the midst of this family and saying, look, there's an alternative. Do we have it all together? No. Do we struggle sometimes? Yeah, but look who we worship. Look at the truth. Look at what we've got. And then we take the enemy's claws off them bit by bit as they respond to the truth, as they begin to take the right steps and we see people come into the kingdom of God. I hope that that's what we're all about. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you promised us that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. The Lord, we've sung before, into your hands I commit again my life. And the word says, my world is in your hands. Lord, that's so true. Our lives are in the palm of your hand. That you are sovereign, you rule and you reign over us. Father, you have all authority in heaven and earth. And you've invested that into us. You've spoken those truths into our life. Lord, I pray that you would raise us up to be an army. Lord, an army of love, an army of light, an army of integrity and purity. Lord, that we would be a group of people that are a force to be reckoned with because we have that understanding of our mind being a new creation that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind and our minds are built on the foundation of truth, of scriptural truth, of the experience of your love. And Father, we won't give ground to the enemy. We'll resist the lies. We'll stand firm and strong in the spirit. And we thank you, Lord God, that you said that your church would prevail against the gates of Hades. Lord, even if Satan comes us against us with the whole realm of force we know that in our relationship with you we're in the victory we're not fighting for a victory we're fighting fighting from it we've already won we're already on the winning side jesus is the winner man and we're aligning ourselves with you lord god and your truth and your purposes for our lives we're standing strong in the spirit and lord i want to pray today for those who are struggling in their mind Lord, where the enemy's come and he's, he's poked and he's prodded and he's pushed and he's tried to get in and there's been some ground given. Lord, would you give those people courage to come and get some help? Lord, I think about when Moses was fighting and he needed to have people to hold his arms up so that the battle could go on. Lord, sometimes we need our brothers and sisters to come and fight with us when we're weak, to come and hold us up or to speak into our lives and, and to encourage us and, and get us back so that we're on the front line again. Father, would you give us that blessing as a family of propping each other up, reminding each other of who we are in Christ and the blessing that we are to one another and the grace that God's poured into our lives. We are God's chosen instrument. We are a royal priesthood, God's own people. We are special because God's made us that way. And thank you, Lord, that we can clothe ourselves in that armory, in that weaponry, and we can fight and we can speak out truth and we can speak out over people's lives and our situations and we can turn things around because of the power of prayer, because of the truth of your word. And Father, I pray that you continue just to stir us up as a group. Teach us how to fight, Lord. Teach us your ways. Show us your ways that we might walk with you. 
Father, I just praise you today. Lord, I ask for your blood to wash over each and every one here today. Lord, would you guard them? Would you shield them? Would you teach them how to fight in their circumstances and situations? Would you birth your word in their mouth? Would you put scriptures on their hearts? Father, would you help us to lock our shields together as a family and to fight as an army, I pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. Thank you for its truth. Thank you for the way that when Paul was chained to a centurion and he didn't respond with bitter words, but he responded with, pray for me. Teach me how to share the gospel with boldness. What a great prayer he finished off with in chapter 6. Lord, may that be our prayer today, that we would know how to use our mouths and our lives to extend the kingdom of God, that we would use every opportunity and use it wisely, that, Lord, we would see ourselves as warriors, that, Father God, we are great and mighty warriors, just like you said to Gideon, we are men of valor, women of valor. And you've put us on the front line and you've said, Tabitha, fight. You've said, Daryl, fight the good fight. You've said, Kerry, fight. Stand and fight. Stand and fight. And Lord, today we, we declare that we will stand in our workplaces, in our schools, in our families, in this community, Lord God. We're going to be on the watchtower. We're going to watch for the enemy's ways and we're going to thwart them with your weapons, God. We're going to stand against him. Because that's our job description. To go into all the world and preach the gospel of truth. To drive back the forces of darkness. To drive back the culture of evil in our nation. To stand for the truth. To stand up against the tide. And be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Lord, may that be the truth of our lives today. Make us strong, Jesus. Make us strong in you. Anchored to you. Yearning for you. Looking to you. Because if we clothe ourselves in Jesus, we clothe ourselves in all that we need to win the battle. So, Father, thank you for your love, for your word, for your wisdom. Help us to walk with it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, everybody. Now, you wonderful men, we're going to set up these little tables up the back and push all the chairs forward, sit the tables up, put some chairs around it, sit our beautiful wives down and the women of the church. Feed them lovely chocolate so they get fat. <laughs> Make them a cup of tea or coffee. Have a lovely Mother's Day. Look forward to saying, hey, guess what? I bet you when I look out at you next Sunday morning, you don't look like this. There'll be hair out here, makeup down here, Ugg boots, tracksuit pants. But you know what? Jesus will be there, so it's all good. <laughs>